Hello and welcome to another edition of Mostly Weather. I'm Helen Roberts, Senior Operational Meteorologist and the newest member of the Mostly Weather panel. Today we're on a fact-finding mission to learn as much as we can about sudden stratospheric warming. There's been quite a lot of chatter about it on social media. Currently, we're recording this in the last week of November. So we're going to be looking at what's happening now, how that might impact the weather here at the Earth's surface through the Northern Hemisphere winter and what it might mean for us. For this episode, I'm joined by Claire Nazir, the producer of this podcast and also a meteorologist. Hi. And our guest today is Dr. Jeff Knight, who specialises and has done for decades on this phenomenon of sudden stratospheric warming. Jeff, good afternoon and welcome to the show. Hello. So could you just start by telling us what it is exactly that you do here at the Met Office? Well, I'm in the monthly two decadal prediction group here at the Met Office. And my job is to understand uh, different kinds of climate um, variability, how the climate changes on on a variety of timescales and how that uh, helps us to improve long-range forecasts. And talking of long-range forecasts, the seasonal three-monthly outlook came out just a couple of days ago. What can you tell us about that? Well, that's right. Um, The Met Office produces a three-month outlook uh, for conditions in the UK. Um, And what it is, it's an attempt to look at the sort of weather themes that we might experience in that period. We can't really forecast for a day or um, a week, uh, 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 say um, three months ahead, but we can say what are the more likely themes going to be. Um, So I always think about it uh, like it's um, trying to um, estimate how the goalposts are shifting rather than actually the result of a football match. Um, we're just seeing, you know, given what we know at the moment, how, how might things uh, pan out in, in the winter. Um, so we released our winter forecast this week and it shows that for a variety of, of reasons, a variety of effects that are going on in the climate system at the moment, that um, a uh, milder and wetter winter uh, looks more likely this year than a colder and drier one. And these seasonal outlooks are useful for planning purposes generally, aren't they? Not necessarily useful for someone planning something on a particular date, for example. No, that's right. We can't tell you uh, what uh, weather's going to be in your birthday if you've got a birthday in January or something. That's not really the intention. It's just to say, what is the the overall type of conditions? So if you were a planner, for example, who needed to um, plan resources for... um, uh, how much uh, de-icing at an airport. It's just good to get an idea what are the kind of uh, chances this this season. And then it kind of works in combination with kind of shorter range forecasts as well because as you get closer to the time, you can really sort of focus down on what's going to happen. Going back to sudden stratospheric warming then, this is a, a deviation from normal conditions that sometimes happens over the poles during that hemisphere's winter. So could you just talk us through uh, a typical winter setup in the stratosphere? Yeah, so maybe uh, we can just bring in some basics first. So the stratosphere is the layer of the atmosphere that's uh, above the weather layer, which we call the troposphere. And so it starts at about 10 kilometers 
above the surface and goes up to about 50 kilometers. And it's very, very different to the troposphere where our weather occurs. It's um, a very, very uh, cold and very dry layer and uh, there are basically no clouds there uh, at all. Um, and what makes it different and why it exists is because of the ozone layer. And when you have the uh, ozone layer there, it acts to heat up the, the stratosphere. It's ozone is, is a gas which is like the normal oxygen in, in the uh, atmosphere, but it has uh, three oxygen atoms instead of two. And it's very, very good at, at actually trapping the ultraviolet radiation from the sun. So that's the sort of short wave radiation. So if you think when you go to the beach, you're, you're sitting out in the sun in your shorts or, or bikini, then you know, you'd be mad not to actually uh, put on some, some sun protection. And that is because of this, this ultraviolet light, the UV part, which um, can actually damage your skin. It's got a very, uh, there's only a very little amount of it that's left through its passage through the atmosphere from the sun. But even that can really sort of burn you. And so imagine how much energy has actually been taken out um, by the atmosphere, and that happens in the ozone layer. So the amount of heat that is being absorbed in, in the uh, ozone layer is fundamental for the structure of the stratosphere. Now, in the polar latitudes in the winter, things are very different, of course, because um, you know that uh, when you go up to high latitudes, you get the, the nighttime lasting all through the winter. And so there's no sunshine to heat up the ozone, and therefore the stratosphere gets very, very cold indeed. And as a result of that, we know as meteorologists, where you get differences in temperature, where you get gradients in temperature, then you get winds. And uh, we have a, a howling wind that goes around the, the, um, this cold region in the stratosphere at speeds of up to 150 miles an hour. It gets incredibly strong. And the effect of that is to isolate this, this area of, of the atmosphere. And that's what is known as the stratospheric polar vortex. And that's different from the polar vortex, which I know the Americans talk about in the winter. Just to make that clear. Yes, absolutely. I mean, vortex, in the origin of the word, it just means something that turns or spins. And so um, when we look at just uh, surface, near surface, low pressure systems, they kind of can sort of spin around the air and those can spin around. And so they can be described as vortices as well, a different kind of vortex. And so uh, in America, often uh, you might talk about low pressure systems that, that draw down a lot of very cold air from the Canadian Arctic. They will call those polar vortices as well. But it's a different thing entirely to what we're thinking about when we're talking about the stratospheric polar vortex. And it's abbreviated to SPV in books as well, just so to yes. that, make that Yes, clear. that's right. It's often, often abbreviated that way. So because of the very cold poles, um, during the winter half of the year, we get this polar vortex. But does that influence our weather that we experience down here at the Earth's surface? So um, the, the, the polar vortex with these very strong winds moving around the, the pole um, is the normal state of affairs. And um, that kind of helps to sort of set uh, our kind of normal surface weather. So the usual thing that we get uh, in our latitudes is westerly winds that um, come from, from the Atlantic Ocean and, and in fact throughout the northern hemisphere there's a general tendency for a, a circulation of air from the west to the east. 
Um, so that is aided. It's not completely created, but it's aided by the fact that this this um, stratospheric polar vortex is strong and has these westerly winds. So very occasionally we get um, a, a change, however, and this is where the sudden stratospheric warming comes in. So um, about um, once every two years in the winter, we see um, an episodes where the um, stratospheric polar vortex can weaken substantially. So what this means is it can either uh, move off the pole or be pushed off the pole, or it can become elongated and, and, and uh, less strong. And um, these type of uh, events can uh, weaken the effect of, of that uh, flywheel effect, if you like, on the, on the lower layers. And uh, through that, it can weaken the, the, the surface westerlies as well. So what we're getting is a, is a weakening in the polar vortex, which is having an impact on our jet stream, which in turn is having an impact potentially on the weather down at the surface. Yes, exactly. So I think um, what we, we have is uh, a setup where when we get these events, it reduces the intensity of, of, uh, of, the, of this help, if you like, that the stratosphere is giving to the troposphere. And um, uh, that is in its most extreme expression when we have a, 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 what we call a major southern stratospheric warming. In these type of events, we can see the polar vortex actually um, destroyed entirely. Um, and so with no polar vortex at all, then you just get uh, uh, easterly winds over the pole and that uh, 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 causes a uh, much bigger reduction in, in the surface westerlies. And where does the warming aspect of the sudden stratospheric warming come in? So when the, the polar vortex which contains the very very cold air um, is displaced off the pole when it's breaking down then you see at the North Pole a, a very rapid uh, increase in temperatures. So it can go up 70 degrees or something like that in, in a matter of a couple of days as the cold vortex is pushed off the pole and, uh, and uh, warm air rushes in. So it's relatively warm, but I should say it's only about probably minus 10 instead of minus 80. <laughs> Are there reasons why um, the, the vortex weakens? Uh, are we looking more globally at other drivers which maybe have an influence on the stratospheric polar vortex? Or is it just something that happens occasionally? Yeah, so um, f fundamentally um, the, the uh, two influences on the strength of the stratospheric polar vortex are um, cooling so the uh, air uh, in the stratospheric polar vortex um, has lost its ability to heat up. Um, the the ozone there isn't seeing any sunshine, so it can't can't absorb that that energy. Um, and all the time, uh, it is uh, radiating uh, its heat to space, and so it is just gradually cooling. So that's one factor. The other factor is that we see um, what we call planetary waves that come up from the, the troposphere um, into the stratosphere and they can act to jostle the vortex. Uh, so these planetary waves are, are the kind of um, uh, sort of uh, uh, movements of air from sort of north to south, they sort of um, periodic movements. So we may, may see air move 
um, northwards in in the mid latitudes, and then then sort of southwards uh, again um, as you sort of uh, move uh, across the Atlantic, for example. So an, an example is is sort of a blocking event um, is a, is a large excursion, um, which is uh, part of of these kind of wave features. Um, and these can propagate up into the stratosphere. They kind of are formed by weather um, or, or large-scale weather uh, at, the, at the surface or in the troposphere. And then they can propagate up into the, into the stratosphere. And if they become large enough in amplitude, they can uh, induce uh, uh, sudden stratospheric warmings or even major sudden stratospheric warmings. So it works both ways then? It's not, it's not working downwards, just something which goes from top down? Sometimes initially, there's... absolutely, it's 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 a two-way interaction. Um, so, uh, you, in order to get a, a sudden stratospheric warming, you need to have that wave activity from the from the surface, from from the troposphere, troposphere and, and then um, the the uh, stratosphere can respond. It depends a little bit on the on the state of the stratosphere at the time, but um, fundamentally, it's driven from the troposphere. In contrast to the name, uh, in the UK, the result of a sudden stratospheric warming can be that we end up with a cold spell. Mm. So how does that come about? Yes, so um, the uh, sudden stratospheric warming will favour colder conditions. And this is because uh, there is a reduction in the strength of the um, normal westerly winds that we get uh, from the Atlantic. In winter time, the Atlantic is is um, uh, much warmer than than the continental Europe or or, or Russia, in fact. And so, um, if we get air drawn in from that direction, we have mild conditions. If we have air drawn in from from the other direction, so from from the east then it's, uh, it's necessarily cold. So if you reduce the likelihood of getting westerly, westerly winds um, and increase the likelihood of getting easterly winds, on average, um, the winters become colder. And roughly how frequent are these types of events on a, say, a decadal time period? How many times would we expect? This yeah, to so on average, you might sort of see five or six um, events in a decade, um, but it can be more, it can be less. I mean, the 1990s were uh, noted for having uh, fewer southern stratospheric warmings, for example. I find this fascinating because when did you first, well, when did scientists first realise there was a correlation between something that's happening 10 to 50 kilometres up in the atmosphere and something that happens at surface level? Because it's not that new um, a, a scientific discovery, is it? It's not something we've been dis- we've been analysing it for for a long time now. Yes, yeah, so I think the understanding of that connection or the realisation of that connection has probably come about in the last twenty five years. In contrast to um, southern stratospheric warmings, which have been known about for um, seventy years, uh, so they were discovered uh, uh, just after World War Two when. Um, people were uh, doing more and more balloon ascents to ever greater heights and so by being able to study that balloon data people could see that there were these very very abrupt and and, and, uh, uh, rapid 
changes in temperature in the stratosphere that were completely unexpected. That's, a, that's incredible, isn't it, that it, it took a balloonist, whereas now we use these supercomputer models to actually analyse what's happening in the stratosphere and then mm. try and project what will happen maybe mm. through our winter. The other thing I would like to know is, when it comes to an SSW, a sudden stratospheric warming, what time, of winter, what time in the winter season does it tend to happen? Well, it can happen at any point during the winter season. Um, but usually uh, January is slightly more favoured than some of the other months. Um, so, uh, yeah, early season uh, events can happen, but they're not as common. So the stratospheric polar vortex is a fast-moving circulation of air that sits over the poles. It can reinforce the jet stream, and a sudden stratospheric warming event is when there's significant weakening and reversal of the stratospheric winds, which can in turn, but not always, reduce the strength of the jet stream winds, which are lower down in the atmosphere and can sometimes result in much cooler conditions for parts of Northwest Europe, including the UK. Now, thinking back to 2018 and the famous Beast from the East, I believe that was uh, affiliated with one of these warming events in the stratosphere. Yes, that's right. There was a sudden stratospheric warming that year on February the 12th, um, which uh, led to conditions which favoured the cold conditions we saw from the east. Um, So the last week in February of um, 2018, we saw a a very... um, a strong easterly flow that was bringing air all the way from Siberia um, towards us and that resulted in one of the, the coldest weeks that we've had for, um, for, for a number of years. And before that event, uh, are there any other significant winters or, or cold spells that might stick in the memory for people that were associated with an SSW? Yes, if we go back in time then we can think about um, uh, the early part of 2013. Now, 2013, I believe that there was an SSW uh, Southern Stratospheric Warming in January, and that led to a very prolonged cold late winter spring period. So I can remember that um, at Easter that year, that was at the end of the end of March, I went out for a walk um, uh, near my house, and it was it was one degree C. Um, you know, at Easter, it was only um, it was the the end of March actually, but it was still so cold for so long, yeah. and that was because of this prolonged effect of the of the sudden stratospheric warming that had occurred. And I guess, given that there is such a a change in the stratospheric winds and the resulting change in weather patterns, would that mean that they would tend to be quite prolonged when we get these events? So it can really depend. What um, we see is that uh, the sudden stratospheric warming can change the nature of a whole winter. Um, If we have uh, an SSW event, then maybe for the next um, uh, two uh, months or something like that, uh, or even longer, then we are in a a regime where it favours colder weather. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean to say that we'll get colder weather throughout that period. You can have um, episodes of colder weather 
that are separated by um, by more mild interludes and that's kind of what happened after the beast from the east we had that really very very cold week and then it relented for a while and then in the middle of march um, after the end of february beast from the east we had um, a, another snow episode uh, over um, large parts of southern England. And in um, fact, after that, the, there was still a blocking pattern going on through into the summer, which led to a heat wave. Yeah, so I wouldn't go as far as to link all those things together. That's getting a, a long way ahead. But I think for the month of March as a whole, you can see that March uh, 2018 was a, a very cold month. Um, but it wasn't sort of... Um, uh, remorselessly cold it was uh, came in in, in uh, episodes um, and that's because the uh, SSW the Sun Stratosphere Warming Influence was, was there in the background all the time but it is just one thing amongst a whole range of effects on the weather and other things can sort of butt in or change the picture so what I'm thinking of is uh, effects from uh, within the troposphere itself that have nothing to do with the stratosphere so maybe uh, effects from um, the tropics uh, or, or kind of just transient um, weather phenomena. And actually just jumping back a little bit it's also worth highlighting that even when we are signalling the likelihood of a cold spell that doesn't necessarily mean that we're expecting snow in the forecast because cold easterly winds often just bring us dry weather don't they cold crisp bright sunshine um but but you have to get something else in the mix like a, a front or a low pressure system well that's that's right i mean uh, it is then uh, coming down to the real details so i mean one of the things um that uh, that you can get um for example, is that when that very cold air comes across the North Sea, which is still relatively mild, you can get snow showers um, being being produced. And where they hit and how much um, snow they actually produce is very difficult to actually forecast, even quite close to the event. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, just moving into the other hemisphere briefly, if we can, could so your work does extend into the southern hemisphere as well and there's been talk about um, an SSW over the South Pole what can you tell us about that? Yes well I mean in the Southern Hemisphere of course everything's around the, the other way so they have had their winter um, uh, in, in sort of June July August sort of period and in September they had um, a, a minor uh, what we call a minor southern stratospheric warming so the vortex got um, perturbed quite significantly but it didn't get destroyed at that particular point in time um, but nevertheless because of the characteristics of, of the southern hemisphere that seems to have had um, quite a quite an important impact so in the southern hemisphere it's different to the northern hemisphere they they almost never have um, major southern stratospheric warmings um, so the only event that has been observed in the record is uh, 2002 um, so only one has ever been observed uh, and that's because the the kind of uh, nature of the geography in the southern hemisphere is completely different there's less land masses and less mountains and they're the things that help to create the the kind of wave patterns in the troposphere that can propagate up into the stratosphere so generally speaking the um, uh, Antarctic polar vortex as it's called is actually much more strong and, and stable 
than uh, the Arctic counterpart. Uh, so when they had this event this year, it were, even though it wasn't like a, a big event by Northern Hemisphere standards, it was still kind of really worth talking about. And um, it does seem to have actually created some important uh, surface effects. So I think um, they've had very kind of um, hot and dry conditions in Australia, uh, which is associated with uh, a shift in, in where the, the storms go. So essentially, uh, normally speaking, you would expect uh, the tropical um, moist band of, of rainfall over northern Australia to extend down uh, into the, the, the middle of Australia, into the, into the um, uh, sort of uh, New South Wales kind of area. But when the uh, storm track is moved further north, it means that the high pressure belt that normally goes over South Australia sits right over the continent and it basically reduces their rainfall. So um, there's a, a good suggestion that, that that's actually been happening there. In addition, we've seen um, one of the smallest ozone holes um, that we've seen for many years uh, in the Southern Hemisphere this year. So the, the size of the ozone hole only really got to about a third of what it normally does um, this year because the way the ozone hole works, it requires the, uh, the vortex to, to contain that very, very cold air. And if that very, very cold air doesn't, uh, isn't maintained, then you can't get the processes that make the ozone hole. So um, we've really sort of seen some impacts from that this year, even though it's not, by our standards, a, a big event in the Northern Hemisphere. It really is such an interesting topic and, and fascinating that something which may on first inspection seem so remote from us can have potentially such a big impact on our day-to-day -day mm. lives during the, the winter half of the year. What's next for you then after, obviously you've been studying this, you analyse this every year, you have research students working with you. Mm. What are you looking at to further your understanding of SSWs? Well, I think case study analysis is very, very useful. So um, we're working at the moment to try and understand a lot more about the, the differences between the exact responses that occurred after the the 2018 SSW, the beast from the east SSW, and the one that happened on the 1st of January in 2019. So um, this year, when we had the SSW, uh, we did sort of see some kind of um, impacts from 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 that event um, in the in the troposphere, uh, but we didn't see a full scale beast from the east. We didn't have that very very cold easterly wind and it didn't um, create lots and lots of snow uh, for us. So we want to understand a bit more about, well, why, why is that? Is it there, there is a difference between um, the way that different uh, uh, SSW events work in terms of how they influence the, the troposphere? Or is it just um, that you've got other things going on that can counteract and countermand what's actually happening from the stratosphere? So that's what we're kind of studying at the moment. I think it's really, really useful to look at individual cases and understand them really, really well. And other parts of the world, other institutions around the world, are they doing similar work or do they rely on scientists here at the Met Office to sort of guide them and direct them in the right direction of this area of study? Well, both, I think. 
Um, so yeah, there's there's a lot of interest internationally at the moment in um, prediction models and their ability to predict the stratosphere. So um, we've recently been uh, taking part in a, into comparison of different um, uh, long-range model systems, which uh, um, how well they can predict SSWs, what kind of time time range, and. Um, it turns out that the metal system is one of the, the best systems at being able to uh, predict SSWs. So Why is that then? Because of the well, because of the resolution of our model, or be, because we've been working on it longer? Well, I think um, a lot of a lot of people are are, um, are now really getting wise to the fact that you do need to uh, uh, work on on the uh, quality of your stratospheric simulation. Um, in order to be able to improve these predictability features, um, you know, in understanding now that the SSWs are so important uh, for predictability, so um, they're kind of like cutting on something. And I think we maybe sort of got that that picture a little at a little bit of an earlier stage. And so um, there's been a lot of work to um, to improve the representation of the stratosphere in the models. I know that uh, you were talking earlier, we chatted a few months ago about the SSW in Australia and over the Antarctic, and you were saying that actually one of your research students was doing work on it only last year, so you were able to almost preempt a lot of information because you were working on that aspect of it. Well, that's right. If, if you can um, sort of keep abreast of these things, then, then it's good. It's nice to be able to say something about about these things actually um, while they're happening, you know, rather than scrabbling after Yes, yeah, so he's always on the back foot, as they say. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Talking of which, um, we will, of course, keep our listeners posted on any updates in what's happening over the stratosphere through the course of this winter, um, and I'm sure we'll have plenty of, of information as and when anything happens on our social media channels. But for now, Jeff Knight, thank you ever so much for joining us today and uh, helping us understand this really interesting phenomenon. And thank you very much, Claire. Thank you. Thank you. You're very welcome. This podcast was produced by Claire Nazir and edited by Simon Hammett.